Hi and welcome to Community Campfires 2022, Episode 2 from the Scottish Book Trust. I'm Chris Stooks, one of the podcast producers from the project, and we are also under the umbrella of the Year of Scotland Stories. We go on tour and we ask community groups if they have a story to tell. So, so far we've collected voices from North Ayrshire, Inverclyde and Fife, as well as the Western Isles. What tends to happen is we arrive on a Monday and by Friday we have a meet-up where the recordings are played back with films and poetry, uh, audience discussion. And not only that, there's this beautifully crafted bow-top story wagon from Luke Winter and that provides a great focal point for the residencies. In this second podcast... We partnered with Inverclyde Libraries and I spent the week based at Port Glasgow Library and Clune Park Resource Centre speaking to art and craft classes and other service users. Got a great show for you today and there's a special shaggy dog story at the close that you'll want to stick around for. But we start with Joanne Leach who is casting her mind back to the first day at high school. My earliest memory of living in the moment was the atmosphere I felt at my first day in the high school. I felt a sense of adventure. I think I was the first person there. I don't recall seeing anybody else there. The grass had just been cut and the smell was delicious. And the sun was shining. It was an absolute beautiful day. The birds were singing. I felt everything all around me in this new sense of adventure. And I was so proud and chuffed that I had a new leather satchel and these high high socks, white socks, and they were called Meridian Striders. And the reason I remember the name of them is because they were bought or got a day in, out in Glasgow with my mother and we went to the Kenstis Coupon shop. So my mother had smoked all these cigarettes to get me this leather satchel and these lovely white bookily socks. However, it quickly became apparent that you don't use satchels in this school <laughs> and it changed to a carrier bag to carry all your stuff in, that's what everybody else was using and I didn't want to stick out. But I loved that bag and my mother ended up using it for knitting needles. Next we hear from Ian McTaggart. He talks about a man who fell to pieces after a heartbreak. There was a a fellow in Port Glasgow here, my my mother had told me he he was a kind of bogeyman, if you know what the expression is, to children. And he had a big bushy beard and his hair was all unkept and he was a, he was a sort of down and out, you know. He lived rough, in other words, which was partially unheard of in that time in this area anyway. And my mother had told me years later that it was a he had fallen for a girl and he, he was intending to marry her and she jilted him and this sort of turned his mind. That was the story anyway. The police used to take him in periodically in the police station here in Port Glasgow and they gave him a bath and shaved him because <laughs> he had a big bushy beard and cleaned him up uh, and then 
put them back out onto the street again, you know. You ran away, you know. You were frightened of him. He never harmed anybody, but it was just his appearance, you know. His appearance kind of frightened you. Next, Betty Stewart talks about a kind of tough love where a public space needs to be alcohol-free, even if it means a row. Wasn't drugs then, but there was still alcohol involved. And uh, I must admit, whenever I suspected it or thought they had bottles, well, they called me for everything when I took them off them. Uh, But... I would say, right, come back in a fortnight. Everything was forgotten then, unless, of course, they'd done it again well, and it was the same scenario. This was a minority. Uh, And I suppose maybe we had some right... uh, I wouldn't say bad. Uh, Just didn't know what they wanted in life. Uh, But really, on the whole, and I still meet some of them yet today, and they'll never walk by you. Uh, and I was up there for 30 years. Varry McReynolds speaks about a kind boss and fish suppers. I worked in a local chippy. It was called Andy's. It was a great job and Andy was such a lovely man and never shouted or ordered staff about. At the end of the night, he cooked us whatever we wanted from the menu. My dad used to go in after a night in the local social club. And because Andy was a family friend, he would give him a fish supper with four fish in it. When he came home, I used to have a piece with chips, always on plain bread with real butter. One of the great things about recording people's stories is what it causes you to look up. I've just been looking into Jacquard Looms, a sort of early automated punch card system that automates textile weaving. But in Ronnie Gibbons' recollection, it seems that they were not without risk. He was up oiling the looms. They were called Jacquard Looms. And he was up oiling the, the, the chain and so forth. And while the loom was going, you're not supposed to do that. But he was oiling away and and uh, his finger got caught in it and took his finger off. So... <laughs> When he, we, all, we all heard this, I yelped and that, you know, and uh, we had, he came back down and said, I've lost my finger, do you think you'd find it? <laughs> so we had all the looms trying to find his finger, but he couldn't find it because it was all oosty, uh, the damage was done then. Cathy Blakely speaks about the rag and bone man and a story of balloons. The rag and bone man used to call. So one day I grabbed a jacket off the floor and I ran with it. He gave me two balloons for the jacket. I was over the moon with these balloons, skipping back to my nana's, and I went in. Where'd you get the balloons? I said, the reckon bone man. Where, what did you get him? I said, the jacket was lying on the floor. That was your Uncle Cooley's jacket. And, oops. I said, we should have put it away. And she said, and his money was in it. No money in it. When I shook it, he said, she didn't know his pay packet. I got dragged by a ponytail to capture Rag and Bone Man to get the jacket back. He gave the jacket back and then he took my balloons off me. I was more worried about the balloons. And so I got home and I got a sore backside for touching somebody else's clothes. <laughs> Next up, a shipbuilding warning. Jim Burns talks about being careful where you stand when there's a welder about. The welders working coming up with deck like that and there's a couple of men standing there blathering and not doing anything, he would get his welding rod and just go tss, tss, to your heels. 
and you try to walk, you're, you're welded to the deck. <laughs> you know, it was only a, a, a small tack, but it would break when you done it, but that's what it's, things like that. Um, you had all your nicknames, you had Half a Kiss, who a man had one lip, when he was called Half a Kiss. Next, Anne remembers you shouldn't drop the ball. When I was a kid, I played outside in the street. My favourite games were playing tag. Other favourite game was playing with a ball and throwing it against the wall. It was called Plainy, Clappy, Rolly, Tobacky. If you dropped the ball, it was the next kid's turn. This next tale is like a Christmas classic. Jim Carroll is furious he's not being paid his £1,000 rebate. He's going to take matters into his own hands. I get my yeah slip in th- on a Tuesday to tell me what your wages would be and you picked them up on a Thursday. So I got my slip forty pound and a thousand pound a rebate. So I, I got it. And I see that's it's too thin, you know what I mean. So I opened it forty pound. So I was that annoyed, just off a night shift, and I, I get in the car and I drove up to East Braid. East Braid was the, the main tax office for. Scotland at that time, and I'm sitting in the school brain, and he's waiting about an hour on this guy. Finally, takes me in, and he, I explained it to him. So he checks, and he says, We've told Lothgar's was a shipyard to pay the rebate. They've just you know, done it, you'll need to go back down. So I'm driving down to Lothgar's, and they were finishing at dinner time for the, the Christmas. And I'm 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 calling for school brain and it's about eleven o'clock by the time I get into into Lithgow's and I'm not these big windows I say they open but you have your pay and, and not, everybody's ignoring me and I said, Oh so finally somebody come up and I says, I'm was totally come back, I'm jury bit. So he says, Oh you'll need to get a director to sign your the cheque because it's too much so the too many the boardroom in Lithgow's office. And I sat down and the guy, it was a, a director called White, came out and signed a cheque for £1,000. So that was, that was a good Christmas that year. <laughs> Husband and wife Mohammed Ashwerte and Ahed Mohammed speak about leaving Syria and arriving in Port Glasgow. Everywhere in Syria and Aleppo and Damascus and Homs and everywhere and everywhere. Some people die everywhere and uh, I scared. I scared. I, I I can't live. After that, after that, my wife, my wife and children uh, left Syria before me three months. Next three months, I I went to Lebanon. The first time when we arrived to Bor Glasgow, 6, 16 of March, 2017. What was the feeling? Because why? Uh, everything is new. The looks of the houses, uh, roads, uh, cars, everything was very different. The first thing was very beautiful. Uh, it was my home. Daniela Galdi is a Swiss national who is involved in many compassionate initiatives in the region, such as end-of-life care. She's been in Port Glasgow for a decade after helping her local partner with carer responsibilities, and she speaks here about how they met. So we travelled for three weeks and I saw this man who was just kind with everyone. We became very good friends. 
We didn't have any story, but he was just a nice guy to travel with because most people were nuts, to be truthful. Most people were mad. Um, he invited me to come and see the Dalai Lama in 2004 in Glasgow. <laughs> that came and saw Scotland. And that was a very interesting, very interesting story because I, I had the pleasure to sit in the fourth line from the Dalai Lama because the headphones didn't work, translation wasn't working, so we needed to go very close. But I slept the whole time. Dalai Lama came in and I did go to sleep till he was finished. When he stood up, my friends were waking me up and telling me that time to go home. And lastly, I've given him a bit more airtime than the others. This is Daniela's partner, Tam, who is also well known in the community for compassionate projects. But he's also a great storyteller. So let's hear him play us out. This is brilliant. All best stories begin with Once Upon a Time. Once upon a time, a long time ago, I was tasked with taking um, a lady to a submarine. And she was a duchess or whatever, yes, a duchess. And she came on my ship and I was taking her out to HMS Argyle. She was going for a visit and I'm a little bit mischievous and she was on the bridge and I was letting her drive the ship. And I said to her, you know that old castle you used to have? And she went, yes. And I says, you know the one that burned down? Yes. I says, do you know how it burned down? She says, no, it's a mystery that's never been solved. And I says, I can solve the mystery right here for you if you want. And she went, oh, really, can you? Yes, I think I think you owed millions and millions of pounds for your beautiful little hut that got burnt down. It's a castle, yes, a hot castle, yes, yes. And she says, I, I will tell you, or possibly I'll even just, possibly I'll just go and uh, you can wait for my book to come out. And she went, oh, you're not going to tell me? I says, no, I'm a bit of a tease. I won't tell you. But here today, I'm going to tell you the story. Um, this castle had stood for hundreds of years. And then the mystery is that one winter's night, it burned down. And it didn't burn down from the bottom up. It burned down from the top down. The source of ignition, the fireman says, was it was in the attic. The castle burned from the top down. But there's only one problem. It's a very old castle. It has no electrical supply to the top floors. So this left them with how, without a source of ignition, does a castle burn down? Would you like to know how the castle burned down? There was a certain little boat tied up at a certain little pier about 300 metres away from the castle. And they were having problems cooking their dinner. It was an old, old boat, maybe from the 1950s. It had a coal fire in the bottom and a very tall chimney that hasn't been swept for like 30 years. And the cook couldn't get the fire to light because the whole funnel was full of carbon thick thick carbon so the engineer in charge of it remembered what they used to do in the old steamships he would blow the funnel so he decided I'm going to blow this funnel 
So first they put a rag in the bottom of the fire, soaked in diesel, and it didn't work too well, and they tried again. It wasn't drawing air up. So the crew were hungry for their dinner, and come on, do something. He says, aha. So maybe this pipe full of carbon, say 15 feet, maybe a foot in diameter, he goes and gets a pair of ladders and he goes to the top of the, the funnel, the pipe, the chimney, and he pours a little cup of diesel in. And he says, what will happen is this diesel will impregnate the carbon and then when the fire hits it, it will blow the funnel. It'll, it'll blow all the carbon out and then we'll be able to cook our dinner. But it didn't really work. So he was of the opinion, more is better. So he tried another cup and another cup of diesel and another cup of diesel, pouring it into this long 15-foot pipe full of carbon that was totally blocked. And eventually he put a bucket of diesel down the top of it. So there was the boys down below trying to light the fire, trying to do this. And then suddenly it started to catch and some smoke was going up the top of the chimney and he said, it's a job well done. And then a little bit more heat got into it and a little bit more heat got into it and it made more and more space. So eventually this chimney started to rumble and shake and make all sorts of noises and then lo and behold a massive big blossom of red-hot diesel-impregnated carbon took off like a Saturn V rocket into the night sky and floated away. And that was a job well done. When they got up at six o'clock in the morning to set sail, they thought, oh, Inverary is in fog. You can't see the village. Everything's covered in fog. And of course, it wasn't fog. It was smoke from Inverary Castle. They had successfully cleaned the funnel to cook their breakfast. And from a man that was on the ship that told me this story years before, they went, oh my God, and the fire engines were up there. And they thought to themselves, oh my goodness. So being good sailors, they started the engine, let go fore and aft and sailed into the smoke, never to be heard of again. Thank you once again for listening to the Community Campfires podcast, which has come to you today from Port Glasgow. Community Campfires is a Scottish Book Trust project in partnership with North Ayrshire Libraries, Inverclyde Libraries, On Fife and Western Isles Libraries, and is supported by the Year of Scotland Stories. The music was by Zakhar Valaha. Our next podcast sees our story circus arrive at Loch Gelly in Fife. Please come and join us.